0: you can have a seat or you can lay back down wherever you are. Um, So I'm Mark, one of the pastors at Veritas. It's my privilege this morning to open the Word of God with you, and I thank God for the technology that continues to allow the Word of God to go out. And so I pray that wherever you are, um, however you're listening to this right now, that, uh, that it will be received. The good news will just land in your soul and just fill you with hope this morning. We have such great news this morning, so you're in the right place if you need some encouragement. Um, just a quick announcement. Uh, next week is the welcome breakfast. If you're new to Veritas and you're just wanting to uh, hear more about who we are and we've got a breakfast next week, and I think even if it gets rained out, we'll still have the welcome breakfast. So show up and, um, yeah, and maybe you can be a part of our little studio audience if we get rained out. But hopefully uh, it will rain all week and then we'll have a beautiful Uh, sunny Sunday morning next week. We'll see how it goes. But um, if you have a Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we're in verses 18 through 31. And so we're going to look at the first half and I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So we remember from last week that the context of this section is disunity in the church. People are saying, I follow these different church leaders and it's causing division in the church, uh, which is timely, right? We are in a time of unprecedented division, Um, not only in our culture, but that division is making its way into the church. And so... Uh, we, we see the source. In this passage, Paul is talking to us about the source of disunity. The source of disunity is pride. And the only way to destroy pride and restore unity is through the cross of Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes, here's the big idea. The big idea is that if we really believe the gospel, we'd be unified. If we really believed the gospel, we'd be unified. That sounds simple, doesn't it? Simple enough. Here's the problem. There are two kinds of pride that keep us from believing the gospel. There are barriers to us believing the gospel, and it's, it's two kinds of pride. So you could say there are a couple reasons for the division among us. In verse 20, Paul says, we're going to take this one at a time. So the first kind of pride is this kind of skeptical pride? It, it, listen, look at verse 20. It says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the debater of this age? So he uses the word, Where, where is the wise? He uses the word Sophos, where if you know someone with the name Sophie or Sophia, uh, that, that word means wisdom. Uh, the word Philosophia is uh, a lover of wisdom. And he says, Where is uh, this wise Greek philosopher? So, to the Greeks, uh, they, they believed in reason as the ultimate thing. So, we could essentially reason our way to anything, even God himself. But, and even their conception of God was that he is pure reason. Now, the problem, obviously, is God is reason according to what I consider reasonable. To what my three and a half brain can three-and-a-half-pound brain can figure out. So we're kind of limited in our understanding of him. But, but Paul goes on and he says, Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? Verse 22, The Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ's crucifi- crucified foolishness to the Gentiles. So, so here's what Paul's saying to, the, to this Greek philosopher He's saying, in our, today, we, we wear crosses as jewelry. Uh, we, we wear it or we tattoo it on us. It's hard for us to imagine how ridiculous the cross would have been to them, to these people. Because this was uh, actually a torture device for criminals, the cross was. So this idea that God the Father kills his son on this torture device is Utter insanity, it's madness, it's the opposite of reason, right? A God who is pure reason would never do something so ridiculous and unreasonable. So to the enlightened scholar, they would say this, this makes absolutely no sense. And God's saying, okay, you want wisdom, I'm going to wrap salvation in something that looks foolish to you. Why would God do this? Remember, in the context, God is dealing with the source of our hostility and pride and division. The reason that God would do this is to humble us. So if you're taking notes, the first kind of pride that keeps us from believing the gospel is number one, skeptical pride. And this kind of skeptical pride is the pride of assuming that we can analyze and explain the world without God's help. It's the pride of assuming that we can analyze and explain the world without God's help. How many professors, university professors and doctors do you know That believe that they have to have Jesus Christ in order to make sense of the world no of course not we believe that human reason is the highest form of reason do you know uh, like in highly do highly educated university communities tend to be more or or less open to the good news about Jesus even if you look at our area, Johnson County versus Washington County, right? Iowa City versus Kelowna. What, what do you think? Who, who tends to be more open to the gospel? This is what Paul is saying in this passage that the reason that these philosophers, these lovers of wisdom have a hard time coming to know Jesus is because they can't fit him into what they consider reasonable, God did this to humble us. I um, minored in philosophy in college, which means I know just about enough about philosophy to be really dangerous, but one of my philosophy professors, Edie uh, Klemke, we called him Doc, and he was one of those, he was incredibly brilliant, and he was toward the end of his career and even life. He was in his 70s, and he was, um, he was teaching, and we were actually using his book as our textbook, and... He was a philanthropist. He was a very good man by world standards. And so um, I had the opportunity. We built a friendship, and it was as during finals week, we were hanging out. And uh, we were at this, at this bar, and uh, he, he's a good man. So we we're, we're talking. I was getting his views on life and everything. And so I began talking to him about the gospel. And I asked him the question about sin. Uh, does he believe in sin? Is he himself a sinner? And I will never forget because he slammed his drink onto the table and he got up and he walked out. Just walked out on me. And I remember just sitting there and you know what's my next move? What do I do? And actually I never saw him again. It was crazy. It was it was so sad. But I was about six months later, uh, I was reading through newspaper. I never looked at the newspaper back then. I just so happened to be in a library. I was just uh, flipping through the newspaper and I got to the obituary section and there I saw his name, E.D. Klemke. And ironically, uh, four years after his death, one of his uh, most highly respected philosopher friends, his name's Antony Flew. He's a famous uh, philosophy of religion, uh, or a British philosopher, he actually came to believe in God. This was a philosopher that he had cited many times in his own book as a famous atheist. This guy, Antony Flew, became a theist. But listen to this. Antony Flew never became a Christian, and here's why. Here's his reason for refusing to become a Christian. Quote, While reason mainly in the form of arguments to design, assures us that there is a God. There is no room either for any supernatural revelation that God, of, there's no, sorry, there is no room either for any supernatural revelation of that God or for any transactions between that God and individual human beings. He considered him a deist, like himself a deist, like Thomas Jefferson and some of the founding fathers of our country. So basically, what he's saying is reason allows us no room for anything supernatural. We can look at the world and we can say, wow, there has to be a creator. Reason can accept a creator and creation, but not. Resurrection. So here's a question as we consider what Paul is saying Is your IQ getting in the way of you humbly receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord? And I think about this uh, how it creeps even into my soul and the soul of Christians. You don't have to be an atheist to struggle with this. Sometimes Christians look down on other Christians as being ignorant and gullible and they sort of pity other Christians or other churches that that are doing things a certain way. And Paul is saying this will absolutely destroy our community when this sort of arrogance creeps into the community. Well, he turns from the skeptical kind of pride Now to a different kind of pride. Look at, he says again in verse 20, where is the teacher of the law? This was a religious expert, somebody who mastered their knowledge, uh, had mastered the Old Testament. Verse 22, he says, for the Jews, these teachers of the law, they ask for signs. The Jews ask for signs. Now, what's the big deal about wanting a sign? I don't know about you, but have you ever had this thought? I have. Uh, If God wanted people to know Jesus, why wouldn't he just make it more obvious? Why wouldn't he just show people his power and then everybody would believe? Well, we see the answer to that in John chapter 6. Look at John 6 verse 30. So the Jews asked Jesus, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see you and believe you, they said. What are you going to perform for us? Verse 31 of John 6, they say, our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness just as as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here's what the Jews are saying. If you were God, we know the Old Testament so well, we know how you would work. We know what you would or wouldn't do. I mean, we've read about Moses, you know, and the manna that came down from the sky. We've seen him part the sea. We read the story about Elijah. And remember the fire that comes down from heaven? They're like, we, we kind of know what you would do, so show us one of those amazing things so we, we will know for sure that you are the anointed one, the king of kings. Show us something amazing. And look at what Jesus says in verse 32. Jesus calls them out. He says, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying, I'll show you a sign. I'm going to give you not the, the bread that you can see from heaven I'm going to give you my body I'm going to break not just a loaf of bread I'm going to break my body for you you want bread to fill your stomach but what you need is bread to fill your soul and to solve your sin problem Jesus is going to display his power in a totally different way than what the Jewish people are expecting and so Paul says in verse 23 Back in 1 Corinthians, Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews. To the Jewish people, the cross of Jesus Christ was a joke. It was proof that Jesus was a weak and powerless person. A true king of kings and lord of lords would never bleed and die on a cross The Jewish person, this religious expert, they want a display of God's power. So God gives them a display of weakness. They want a crown and he gives them a cross. But the weakness of God, the weakness, quote unquote, weakness of God is actually the power that saves sinners. So the second kind of pride that keeps us from believing the gospel is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is the pride of assuming we know what God would or wouldn't do. This is the religious expert. The cross constantly keeps pride in check because we remember as Christians that God doesn't always solve problems the way we want him to. You know, I've seen this come out through the hostility that we see in our culture that's brought out from whether it's the coronavirus, whether it's uh, some of the issues of race in our country and in our world. And religious people can be some of the most opinionated and arrogant people Uh, They can assume they know exactly what Jesus would or wouldn't do in any given situation, what he would or wouldn't post on social media, how he would or wouldn't vote, whether or not he'd wear a mask, what he thinks about Black Lives Matter. And Paul's point here is to bring us from pride to humility to say, none of us ever would have made up the gospel story. No one is that smart to have done that. And it shows our arrogance to think that we know exactly what God would or wouldn't do. Why did God do it this way? Why did he choose the cross? Why did he choose this unlikely story? It's to humble us. It's to change our view of what power is. Maybe power is dying to self. Maybe power is not entitlement, but servanthood, Not grabbing for your life, but giving it up. I was thinking about this um, as we think about November 3rd coming up and everything that's going, the election, everything that's going on. I was just thinking through the lens of 1 Corinthians 1. If God needs your candidate to be in power, to accomplish the purpose of his eternal kingdom, think about this. Think about the point that Paul is making here. God put the he orchestrated the events of history for these evil Romans to be in charge so that he could send his son into that hostility to be crucified so that we could be saved we should be some of the most humble people on earth and just a question as we think about this kind of spiritual pride does your spiritual pride ever cause division in the church he continues on in verse 26 this next section he says brothers and sisters consider your calling Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We see in this section the solution for pride, right? We've got skeptical pride, we've got spiritual pride, but now we come to the solution for pride. The solution for pride is simply this. Remember your testimony. Remember your testimony. Now, I changed that point. It might be a little different than your notes. um, Because, yeah, just remember your testimony. Out of this phrase, consider your calling. Consider your calling. Paul is saying, reflect on your own life. Remember your own God story. Like, you're just living your life, doing your thing, And remember that time when Jesus Christ stepped into your life. And you were just like traveling along the interstate and all those mile markers, the Jesus mile markers, those things that happened. Ah, that's good. And all of a sudden, Jesus at some point stepped right in the middle of your life. And all of a sudden, you came to a fork in the road. Maybe some of you right now are in that fork in the road. For your whole life, Jesus has just been a mile marker. Now he's standing in front of you right now, putting you at a crossroads, saying, who will you follow? Yourself or me? Paul's saying, remember that time where you chose Jesus, and that's because there was a calling on your life, and Jesus Christ became wisdom to you. He opened your eyes. And so, you remember that time and you look back and you're like, man, I did so many things to mess up my life. I did so many things to hurt other people. I damaged other people's property or I damaged people relationally. I hurt them. I said slanderous things to, to them. Maybe the things I posted on social media and there was a time where we just hurt other people and all we considered was ourself and our own selfish desires. And Jesus Christ the son of the living God stepped into our life and we said, have mercy on us. And we became followers of Jesus. And at that moment, Paul says, the wisdom of God of Jesus became righteousness to us. Sanctification and redemption. Those three words to describe the one event that happened in your life that you were saved. Jesus became wisdom. He became righteousness to you. You are no longer guilty for your past. You are forgiven of, cleansed of all your sins. Number two, he says, he became sanctification, this wisdom that God knew you needed sanctification. You needed to be transformed to become more like Jesus. That's what the word sanctification means, to be made more and more like Jesus Christ. And the final thing, redemption. He bought you out of slavery and he gave you the hope of resurrection and the restoration of all things. So you are no longer bound by your health. You are no longer bound by your, the image of God that you've created. You're no longer bound by being right all the time. No, Jesus freed you from all those things. And what happens, Paul says, when we forget our own testimony, and our own story we become proud we start getting judgmental we start canceling people and shaming people and looking down on all those people out there who just don't get it and we forget that all those people who don't get it that was us and our pride puffs up he says in verse 27 God has chosen what is weak to shame the strong we can leave all the public shaming up to God all the judgment we can leave that to God that's his job and what he's saying is you yourself your own life weakness that God saved this displays the glory of of king jesus so the big idea was that if we really believe the gospel we'd be unified here's the question why why does believing the gospel unify us or how is it that if we just believe the gospel it would unify us and the answer is this the gospel unifies us because the cross leaves us with no possible reason to boast And this kind of humility is what builds unity in the church. So we have a tradition at our house. Uh, we get together for Thanksgiving and we play backyard football. It doesn't matter if there's snow on the ground. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. We're playing backyard football at Thanksgiving. And so one year we gathered and all the kids... Uh, we're in the backyard, and there's varying levels of athleticism, and since I'm choosing the teams, um, I'm picking all of the uh, not-so-great players, right? Uh, the people with very little talent, and I'm putting all the, the other kids who think there's something on the other team, right? The, the older kids were like, yeah, we're cool, and high five, and then I take all the, all the other kids. And we had uh, one, of the, one of the kids on our team. I'm going to call him Johnny. So I have Johnny on my team, I'm like, Johnny, you're with me. Okay, so here we go. We're playing backyard football. The game's going back and forth. You know how this is? Uh, the score is like 42 to 35, and everything's going just as I plan it, right? Because I'm still old enough to basically decide how the game's gonna go, right? So, so here we are, the battle, of this game's going back and forth. We score, and then the other team goes down and they score. It's, it's like, again, something like, 42 to 35, so we get the ball. We have to score to tie the game, right, because it's coming down to the, to the wire because I'm getting tired and I'm deciding the game's about to be over, right? So this is it. So we get the ball, all right? So again, I'm basically writing the script to this game as we go. I decide who I'm going to tackle, who I'm just going to let go, and who's going to score, who's not going to score. And so we get the ball. And, of course, we go down and score, right? But this is where the plot thickens, okay? So I have to decide. It's now 42 to 41, okay? 42 to 41. Now, I go back to our team, and I huddle up, and I say, all right, what are we going to do? Do we just kick the extra point, or do we go for two? And they they just look at me like, I don't know what we should do. And I said, we're going for two. Here's what we're going to do. And I put the the ball in the hands of, a kid who can just like barely throw the ball far enough to get it into the end zone. And I said, you, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hike it to you. You're going to throw it as far as you can. Now, I know exactly who's going to catch the ball. Remember Johnny, the, the most terrible athlete on our team, the weakest person on our team. I'm like, Johnny is going to catch the game winner. And so... Anyway, so I hike the ball, and this, the, the kid with the ball just heaves it like a shot put, right? This ball's just floating around in the air, and here it comes, and I reach out over all the kids who are gathered and jumping around me, and I, I grab the ball, but, but of course, I can't catch the game winner, right? So I, I'm tipping the ball up, and I'm looking around for Johnny, right? And Johnny's on the ground. He's He's on the ground at this point, and I'm trying to get over to him, and I tap the ball, and I I tap it in such a way that it it just floats right and falls right into his chest, and he puts his arms over the ball. And Johnny, he catches the game winner. I pick up Johnny, put him on my shoulders, march him around. It's like, we won, we won in that moment. Johnny is on top of the world because he is responsible for winning the Thanksgiving football game. Amazing. And all the the older kids were like, no, that's not fair. This is not fair. Johnny won the game. And, And so there we are marching him around. Now here's the question. Does Johnny have any room to boast? Yes. He does. He has an incredible reason to boast. He can boast that he was on my team. I was writing the script. I'm the one that dropped the ball into his lap. I'm the one who won the game through him. And this is what Paul is saying. We are those weak, people who are helpless on the ground and god dropped the greatest gift into our lap and the passage ends let the one who boasts boast in the lord word boast could be just trust there is a reason to boast It's in Jesus Christ, the greatest gift ever. And he does delight to carry us around and celebrate the victory. But it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when we boast in this way, we become the most humble people on planet Earth. Because this is not something that we did. This is not something that we were smart enough to figure out. This is not something that we were powerful enough to work out. Isn't there freedom in this? Releasing control to God, boasting in the cross of Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, I pray for your church. I pray that we would be a people that constantly come back to remembering our own salvation, the way that we were saved. Maybe we need to go back and remember our baptism. Remember that time that we were dunked and as a symbol of our union with Christ, and that we were brought back to life, and and we just need to remember that. For me, being a just about to go into my sophomore year of high school and that summer I was baptized. I need to remember that. I need to remember who I was before Christ. I need to remember how you're transforming me and continuing to save me. And I pray for us as a church that you will make us this kind of people that is unified in the gospel and we don't let our pride bring divisions and disunity. God, I pray for anyone who might be listening that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Maybe they are still living with the skeptical pride that they are too smart for Jesus. I pray that this morning they will come to know Jesus. Or maybe it's not this morning because they're listening and it's the middle of the night and they're hearing this message. Wherever it is that they are hearing this, I pray that you will be present and mighty to save Jesus. name.